Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, especially equipping for pastors and teachers who are preparing lessons or sermons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is DJ Freemeyer. DJ is uh, no stranger to the show. He's been on many times, a few times even this year as we've been working through the Psalter. And uh, he is a Bible coach and helps pastors who are working through their own uh, study of scriptures uh, for decision-making and preaching. So he's, uh, in a way, doing similar kind of work that we do here, but on a much uh, deeper and more personalized level. Uh, so if you want to check out the services he provides, go to his website, djbiblecoaching.com. You can type that in or just if you typed DJ Bible Coaching into Google, you'd find him real fast. He also has a monthly podcast called 700 Seconds in a Psalm that you want to check out for sure. It's a great podcast that also studies the Psalms as we've been focusing on this year. So speaking of the Psalms, our Psalm this week is Psalm 14, Psalm 14. While you're listening to the show today, if you're enjoying it, press the share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass this along to others so they may enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text, see ways you can support the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with DJ. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, why don't you read the text and we'll jump in. We're looking at Psalm 14. Okay. The 14th Psalm for the bright leader for David. Nabal, the fool, said in his heart, there are no judicial deciders. They brought corruption. They made detestable the action. There is no one doing good. My Lord, from the heavens peeked over upon the children of the human to see. Was there one considering, one seeking judicial deciders? Have all turned and corrupted themselves together? There is no one doing good. There is not even one. Have they not known all those who are enacting iniquity, all the the workers of iniquity, the ones eating my people. They ate bread, the Lord they did not call. But there, they feared a fearing, since judicial deciders are in a righteous generation. A counsel of a poor one they shamed, since my Lord is that one's shelter. Who will give from Zion the salvation of Israel? When the Lord is turning the returns of the Lord's people, then Jacob will rejoice and Israel will be glad. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for the God that you are and for the justice that you desire and that you execute and for the way that you counter the injustice of this world. And so, Lord, we ask that as we study this psalm, that uh, DJ and I would be guided by your spirit to be moved with the grain of your justice. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Amen. Hey, so, uh, I mean, I probably always do this to you when you come, but I always want to ask you some translation questions because you presented, I, I take it that that was your own, yes, uh, own sight, sight read there. The pauses implied a little bit of sight reading going down. So choices being made as you go. So I, I noticed the, you know, of course, this famous line in the opening line, the fool says in his heart, there is no God is usually how it gets translated. So, you know, obviously the plural word Elohim there, gods, obviously has alternative meanings or you wouldn't have said judicial deciders, right? Which is kind of the way you went, right? With that. Right. Uh, so so walk, walk us through that that choice that, I, I mean, it, the psalm makes more sense, actually. You know, out of context, that's a great line. But uh, in the context of the psalm, it actually makes a ton of sense. So, and obviously, I suppose Yahweh would be the the supreme judicial decider so it doesn't leave that out of the equation but uh yeah what 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 are your thoughts there yeah so i think the word elohim is one that obviously moving from hebrew into english creates some difficulties of translation um because frequently elohim is cast with a singular verb because the divine counsel is what it'll frequently be called acts in a singular fashion, making a judgment, a singular judgment that's to be carried out within the world. And so sometimes that singular God doesn't capture the context. And this is one of those examples because it's actually going to be in plural. So it's going to be discussing the they is going to be discussing the judicial deciders, the Elohim. So it's depicted with plural pronouns. And so to go with a singular God makes an awkward shift into they. And who is the they? Yeah, because then the they in the second line of verse one in the what I'll refer to as the traditional translation of this text, not I don't mean to bias it positively or negatively in that regard, just as a shorthand. So in the traditional translation, the they has to become a kind of either a pluralizing of the fool, right, which is a singular, or some, you know, some third character that hasn't been named yet. And that's, of course, not impossible. Psalms do make jumps occasionally, but it actually is much cleaner if you keep the quote, the fool says in his heart, and then the quote keeps going, right, right, that they're talking about the gods, perhaps, or judges, since this term is used, right, for bodies other than deities, yes? Correct. So, so pretty much anybody up up the authority chain, right, could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, one of those that is connected with this word, Elohim, is Samuel. Samuel's called a member of the Elohim. So, for humans, many humans would factor into that if they are in the capacity of making judgments. And he is the kind of last in that sequence of judges, right? In the judges period. Not that we don't have more people who execute this, but. Sadly, he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they rejected him and wanted a king to be the, the singular judicial decider <laughs> rather than someone who brings judgments from the Lord, who is the king, the ultimate judicial decider. So Adonai is still, <laughs> my Lord is still the 
ultimate judicial decider, but there are human deciders. And even in today, there are people who make judicial decisions who would factor into this word that the fool is contemplating. I see. So that's very helpful. So then how long would you run the quote from the fool, what the fool is saying in his heart, all the way to the end of verse one? Yes. Okay. And that's much smoother anyway. Yeah. And I think the natural cantillation divisions of the psalm lend credence to that, that it goes until the end of the verse. What's that phrase, cantillation divisions? I don't know what that means. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So each of these are songs. So they have marks. The Masoretes gave marks in order to indicate when pauses and crescendos and elevation of the voice should occur. Gotcha. Gotcha. So those are... Sounds like you're, those are like corroborating evidence. They're maybe not yeah. fi- final word because they're probably later developments, but, but they're indicate a very ancient tradition. Yeah. So they're not, not to be dismissed or ignored when they corroborate they, they can help nudge a reading one way or the other. If you're, if you're trying to determine like, where does yeah. it break? Well, those can be an aid. Exactly. That makes perfect sense. Okay, so the fool says in his heart, "There is no, there, there are no gods, or there, uh, there are no judicial deciders. They're all just corrupt, do abominable deeds. There's none who does any good." This becomes description of, and you'll see this even today, right? Some will say, you know, if if you accuse a particular leader of corruption, either the leader or his or her defenders will say, "Well, it's all corrupt." You know, <laughs> this is a common right kind of excuse. Right. No one's no one's perfect is kind of the emphasis of that one. But here, the fool or Nabal is saying, I don't need to base my decisions upon a judicial decider over me because there are no good ones. Therefore, I can do what's right in my eyes. So what does it matter? Yeah. So then verse two becomes this striking response. And, and then the name of God appears as the kind of counterweight. So to what extent is God uh, siding with the fool here? You know, like, I mean, in many, regards, <laughs> in many regards, the Lord is, oh, the fool said this. Let me look and see. Is this true? To see if there's any who understand. They've all turned aside, all become corrupt. None who does God, not even one. But these are in terms of the questions. Right. So is it, is it true? Is there one considering or seeking judicial deciding? Have all turned their casts in the form of questions? Have all not known? Let's discover. Have they all turned? Okay. So verse four is, at least in a lot of versions, four is put in the form of a question, but three is sometimes put as a assertion. Of course, in that case, somewhat there's some influence of the way these things are quoted in Paul's letter to the Romans, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Well, Paul is Paul is declaring that it is indeed the case. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. But the, the psalm itself has that interrogative particle in verse 2, in verse 3, and in verse 4. So these are questions. Oh, wow. Where is it in 2? I believe you. I just want you to help me see it. So after the, the Lord peaks over the... Mm-hmm. Children of the of a human to see, and then there's the ha yesh. Okay. Yep. Yep. Is there? And then just keep that going into, and then seeing that is still governing into verse three. That and I into see. verse four. 
It's still going. I see the, it, the whole phrase. So that's a perfect place to take us into a break. So that's the question. God looks down. Is this the case? So when we come back from our break, we'll uh, see what, what answer God comes up with. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here, my guest DJ Freemeyer, and we're looking at uh, the great Psalm 14. So yeah, the fool says in his heart. So we raise this question that the Lord looks down to kind of see if this accusation is true, using some of the same language and expanding a little bit. So how, how do you read verses uh, five and six? Are these continuing the question or is this the beginnings of a of a reply. Yeah, so I think Psalm 14 has a statement at the very beginning, followed by three questions that the Lord is going to ask. And then you get statements, and then you get another question at the end. So it shifts from, okay, have they not known? And have they been enacting? Is everyone enacting iniquity? And then in verse five, it's there. <laughs> the word is there. There it is. There are ones who are fearing. A great fear is frequently how it's translated, but they're fearing. They feared fearing since Elohim, judicial deciders, are in a righteous generation. So the Lord's looking to see is there a righteous generation? Because if there is, there are judicial deciders in them. And are these judicial deciders who are fearing the Lord, or is this people who are fearing who ought to become judicial? Because I'm asking, like, because clearly he's spotting righteous. The question is whether they're a part of the <laughs> right. They may not judicial be class. part of the. They may not be seen as Elohim at that time, or given that authority or, or role, and they should be, or gotcha. maybe. They actually have, but they're not listening to the judicial decider. It could go either way, as Psalms frequently do. Leaves it open. Right. So then it applies in new contexts as well, right? Various settings in which it might apply. So then how does six fit into that? The counsel of the poor? Yeah. So you have this poor one who's offering a counsel, a word of counsel, and they are shaming. So the fool is actually onto something here, or Nabal is actually onto something here. The advice of the poor and how to handle judicial decisions to help those who are poor is being shamed by the Elohim. So that's not good. But it also indicates that the Lord is the shelter, is that poor person's shelter. Yeah. And hearing so hearing those complaints, yeah. So is there an Elohim? Well, yes and no. <laughs> the poorest complaint is being shunned, but there is one over the Elohim who is a member of the Elohim who is sheltering the poor one. So there is still, even when all human judicial deciders are gone, there's a heavenly judicial decider who is making those decisions to protect the poor. Yeah, so it is a kind of yes-no answer to the original question, right? <laughs> right. Okay, that's great. And there's two sides. Let me make sure I'm capturing this right. So there's two sides to the yes. One is that there are righteous ones out there, perhaps among the poor, perhaps otherwise. Right. They may or may not have judicial authority, may or may not be being listened to. 
Um, so God is not without a witness to use a different phrase, right? Right. But more importantly than that, in, in a way, that's just an expression or demonstration of the fact that God himself is the the ultimate judicial decider and does hear the the cries of the poor, even when those in power do not. Right. Okay. And so the reason- wow, You're making sense of this psalm in a way I've never made sense of. So this is fantastic. I'm loving it. Which leads us or loops us back to the reason why the person who makes the statement is a Nabal is a fool. Because to say there are absolutely none dismisses the fact that there may be in that generation judicial deciders that aren't being seen and dismisses the fact that God is still a judicial decider overall. In which case, the the traditional translation is not completely false. It just doesn't set up the tension properly, would be a way of putting it, right? So I think that's a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. So that that in the end, like, well, yeah, the, 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 the heart of the foolishness here is the assumption that, well, God is still the judge, right? There's always at least one judge, the one that matters most. Right. Operating. But the narrative, the the tension, the kind of question and answer structure gets obscured by translating it God. And removes the punch at the end for who will give from Zion salvation. It removes that punch to say, God will, but will you? Will you be a member of that Elohim also bringing salvation? Yeah, okay. Is that part of the punch of even the opening of verse 7? Yes. Right, the, 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 the salvation would come out of Zion, not just for Zion, out of Zion, implying, obviously, that's in some sense the seat of Yahweh's authority, but the most obvious sense is that the king in Zion would actually, right, and that the people of Zion would actually bring Whoever us. are those judicial deciders within Jerusalem, that they would be a part of it. Gotcha. And that they wouldn't be, in essence, reverting to the fool and thinking, well, there can be no righteous judicial deciders. It's all, it's all corrupt to say that. So hinted at in five and pretty directly in verse seven, there's an invitation here to participate yes. in God's making the world right, judging rightly. And answering that call, I will be someone who brings correct, righteous judicial decisions. That's great. Okay. That's perfect there. And I'm kind of like, okay, we could, we could maybe jump straight from there to sermon starters in our third segment, but, but I want to pause and and address something that may enhance our understanding or may just be interesting. So let, let's check it out. I notice you're, you're choosing to leave the word for fool, Nabal, occasionally untranslated in our conversation, almost as if it's a proper name. Yeah. And on the break, you mentioned some parallels over in Samuel, which I was thinking of whenever you, whenever you said Nabal. So yeah. uh, walk, walk us through that, this, this famous character and, or less than famous, perhaps some of our listeners are like, wait, there's a character called Nabal who has the word fool as his name, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So in the beginning of the Psalm, it's going to mention that this is for the bright leader and for David, and then gives Nabal. Well, Nabal could be generic, a fool, or it could be naming the character that appears in first Samuel 25. In that story, In 1 Samuel 25, verse 1, it mentions Samuel had died. So here you get the death of someone who's a member of the Elohim. And a lot of people, Nabal says in that passage, have decided, oh, we're going to break away from our masters or the people who are over us, and we're going to do our own thing. And that's what Nabal says he's going to do to David. He's like, I'm throwing you off. In the story, 
And David has done the work of protecting Nabal's flocks and workers, has done the hard work of being someone who protects and guides and makes righteous judicial decisions. Because in the context of 1 Samuel, David is functioning as the king, even though Saul is still in kingship. David's doing the work for him. So David is acting out of that, being a righteous member of the Elohim, and Nabal throws him off. And so David tells his men, all right, let's arm for battle. We've got to go in or everyone will reject the judicial decisions and the bargains because they had made an agreement. They will reject their agreements, go back on it, thinking there is no enforcer of the contracts that are made. We can't have that. No, that's great. So yeah, okay. I see what you mean. So the <clears throat> so the kind of Elohim judgment capacity of Samuel still up and running, even as Saul's been installed as king and as David's been anointed as the next. Well, so in for, some sense, for Samuel, for the book of Samuel, Saul is no longer king. Right, right. Of course. Yeah. The moment David is anointed, the Lord tells Samuel, Saul's dead to me. He's not functioning as a, as a righteous member. Of the so, it's, so it's an error to think of him as, as king anymore. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, even if he has some of the trappings. <laughs> he may have the title, but he's not acting like it. Yeah. In the story, from that moment on, from the anointing on, David acts like who the king should be. Okay. And so within that framework, with Samuel dying at the beginning of the Nabal story, which I've never noticed as a key framing device, you know, for chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. So, so that alone is a very helpful insight. And this always happens. There's a little bit of a power vacuum, a little moment when, and he even speaks in questions. This is from verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, you know, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who I have, who come from? I do not know where. So he's got, he's got the same like rhetorical questioning that is seen at work in verse 14. Yeah. So that, that, that adds to the, to the resonance between the two passages. That's really lovely. And the fact that he is going to receive judgment from his servants who say to his wife, Abigail, we are, (laughs) we are dead unless you do something because this isn't going to end well. They can recognize it even when he can't. And then after taking the goods to David, Abigail does that. The Lord does enact a judicial decision upon Nabal, a fool, and he dies. That's right. Boom. Hey, well, I'll just comment on this as a general principle for what it's worth for our listeners. There's a number of ways to, because the the Psalms are poetic, there is some between the lines work that we're invited to do. You know, over the course of this year, as we've been doing Psalms, a lot of our guests have kind of different ways of doing that. You know, one of the great ways is to see if there's any clues in the text to link it up with some narratives, which kind of can help fill out some of the the detail, whether the Psalm is referencing that explicitly or not, is not a decision you have to actually make as an interpreter. Maybe you think you do, but the resonance alone create what would be called intertextuality, you know, that, that help us to kind of, it illumines the story in first Samuel 25. 
and illumines the psalm in return. Yeah. Both of which can then help us think about what it looks like to apply this to our own lives in our own time. So, Because if the Lord were looking in 1 Samuel 25 to see if there's an Elohim, a member of the Elohim acting righteously, the very end of that chapter talks about how Saul gave away a wife of another to another, which is a bad policy. That is not a righteous decision. So the Lord would see, okay, Saul isn't acting that way, but maybe there's someone in a righteous generation who might be acting that way. And maybe, just maybe, it's Abigail and David. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And then once again, that invitation, you know, they're answering that call to participate in God's justice. A call that can lead us into how to preach the passage well. Perfect. Perfect setup. That's great. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, DJ Freemeyer. We're looking at Psalm 14. Psalm 14. Uh, I'll read it again. Uh, I'm going to try to get it fresh in our ears. I've got the ESV out here, but I'm going to make some changes as I go to correspond with some of the choices that DJ made that, that I'm convinced by. They make way more sense of the text than, than other ways of going about it. So here we go. Uh, to the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, there are no judicial deciders. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God to see if they have all turned aside and together that they have become corrupt. If there's none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are who fear with fear. For God is among or is with a generation of righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we were discussing on the break that it may be good to start with, and it's a general problem in preaching and teaching that applies very well in this case. When, there, when there's a, however well-known a text or its interpretations may be, when you're offering a reading that's less familiar and even pushes against the grain of, of a familiar interpretation, well, what are your thoughts, Dan? Do you go more head on? What's your more approach, you know, to say, hey, you know, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, <laughs> kind of a, a head on. Or are you more inclined towards just presenting the other way in a kind of nonchalant way and just kind of supplanting the alternative or something in between? I don't know. Maybe you have some advice on that because, you know, I mean, you're whenever you're on, you almost always have a kind of, whoa, that's a totally different way of reading the text that I haven't seen before. And how to bring that into to preaching that's not a distraction, but actually helpful is not always easy. So I don't know. I, th- I appreciate your thoughts on that strategic question before we get into maybe the specifics of how it might preach a text like this. Yeah. So when preaching a text that has a rich tradition of 
historical interpretation throughout the the life of the church over thousands of years, like this one. And this one, including other texts of scripture, like in Romans, that tend to read it a different way. It's exactly. Even or, harder. <laughs> or perhaps Romans is reading it in this way. Perhaps. If, perhaps. <laughs> if Paul is discussing how God is righteous and different from the Roman deities throughout the book of Romans, nice. then you would get, okay, God is not like the judicial deciders we tend to envision in our pagan theology. So nice. I think Paul is pulling it for a reason that connects with the original intention of the psalm. But subsequent interpreters throughout the church are going to highlight the aspect of saying there is no God, right? And all the ramifications of saying there is no God. And I think one of the ways to do this when preaching is to recognize that, even include quotations from it, and ask some questions to say, okay, if someone says in their heart, in that person's heart, there's no God, what does that mean? Ah, uh. If there is no God, then there's no accountability for those who are in leadership. Well, what does that look like? And can flow from there. In this way, it mirrors Psalm 14 that asks yeah. question, right? Yeah. And peeks over to see, okay, if this were true, what would it look like? So it sounds like I'm hearing you say that even in more common translations and the sort of standard interpretation, you can kind of start there and get back to the fullness of the original sense of the psalm. You don't have to go on a direct assault. You can get there from here. You know, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you just got to say, hey, you know. We've just read this text wrong, guys, and we just right. need to read it better. We've taken it out of context, but here, that is part of the context. It is. there. You can get there. It just right. maybe takes a step or two. It's focused in on one aspect of saying there is no Elohim. And you can focus, start there with that singular focus, and then broaden it out. Nice, nice. Okay. Well, I, I'm personally biased towards more ironic than polemic kind of approaches in preaching, but maybe I'm just a wuss. I love it when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, but I, 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 I cringe when a, <laughs> when a, when a preacher says it or, or implies they're saying it, you know, <laughs> but uh, I'm not saying it can never be done, but if it can be avoided, I think that would be wise. But. And for listeners, that can be an invitation. And I think even even the statement, as striking as it is, that Nabal or a fool makes, the Lord treats it when the Lord hears it as an invitation. Okay, let's see. Let's take a look. Oh, man, that's good. Well, that, that links us up then maybe with how you might approach this in a sermon. Would there be some – I mean, we've already gotten into the text. Of course, the heart of the sermon is clear. It's a short enough psalm that I think the the focus presents itself – but how would you, you know, yeah, what would be some themes, some moves you might make in a sermon to help people be drawn into, into this text? I think one way to draw people in is to ask, have you experienced a decision that you felt like was not right? Oh, perfect. Yeah. And if you have, then you know the feeling of this psalm, that throughout it's the feeling of frustration that decisions have been made that aren't right. 
and why are they being made? If that's your feeling, then you can launch into how the Lord is peering over, how the Lord is examining all the deciders in business or in the church or in any aspect of society and examining them. And then from there, move into, if you want, are there people who are being overlooked who would actually be really good deciders and make good decisions? And we just haven't given them the authority to make them in our generation. Yeah, so many of us who work in, especially who work in large organizations and even small ones sometimes, it kind of feels like people are making decisions that affect our lives without us knowing it <laughs> and without our input. And, but then the temp- to recognize the temptation of folly to, because you can become bitter in the face of that. Mm-hmm. And there is a kind of bitterness in this fool who speaks, but God doesn't just like immediately say, you know, Oh, you fool. Uh, just trust the judges in this world. You know, right. no, no. He looks into it. God hears that complaint, takes it seriously, but then points out there are some who are righteous. Listen to them. Yeah. So there's a real kind of, yeah, there's a real discerning kind of yes. Yeah. And, or both and kind of vibe in this that could be really helpful, especially, you know, for people who may have been, you know, recently laid off or who've been, you know, decisions have been made at their kid's school that affects their kid's future and their present, you know, and you're just like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like they're making these judgments based on full knowledge and with the sense of justice. Yeah. So this song can, you can actually express how it helps you discern that. If these decisions are eating you up inside, then maybe it's not a good one because this particular decisions that are being made are eating the people, consuming them. And that's not how it should be. Right, right. That's the line in, uh, where is that? In verse four. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, eating you inside because you're getting eaten up. That's really good. And then the recognition to not become a fool. And just say, yeah, there is no justice this side of heaven, right? right. Which, is a, which is a tempting sort of seemingly Christian answer. <laughs> but right? a it's a foolish one. Right. It's ultimately a foolish one to say, yeah, well, there is just no justice here. So I just need to do what I can for me and mine. Which is the temptation when, you're, when you get screwed by the powers that be. It's to assert the power you've got and, and get what you need for you. Right. right. And that's to be like Nabal. Right. <laughs> Right. So yeah, Saul's being a jerk. Nabal's right. Saul's gone. Samuel's gone. You know, you know, but. But Nabal forgot. Yes. There are righteous people in in the world. That's right. And there is a righteous God who enacts it. And we must fall into thinking like a Nabal that there will be no justice. Who does just try to take care of him and himself and, and his own. And it's his servants, the poor among him, the working poor among him, who identify like, no, 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 this, this isn't actually good for us. <laughs> we, right. we need to be a part. We need to be a part of a just order. We can't just take care of ourselves. It's not going to work. And this is going to lead to disaster. We better stop it. And even in that powerless position, they cry out to someone who can make a difference. So even if you're not in a position to change the decision. You can cry out to someone who might be. 
Yeah, and in that case, it's Abigail, right? So it's identifying the righteous the in this generation, the right? The hero of the story, the righteous in this generation who perhaps are not set up as judges, but in fact have the justice necessary to be the judge. Yeah. And ultimately, you can cry out to the Lord who does have right. it. And I think frequently we'll throw up our hands in frustration, but not throw up our hands in supplication. Oh, that'll preach. I mean, it rhymes must be true right now, but it's, all, it's also really good. Throwing up our hands in frustration. And part of it is the invitation. When you find yourself throwing your hands up in frustration, hearing that an invitation to keep them up and turn that frustration into a supplication. That's really good, man. Yeah. Which is kind of what this, even though the, the, the author, the, the, the prayer of this psalm is not, is not posing as the fool, they are nevertheless, in a sense, bringing the fool's question to God. Yes. And so in some ways, the psalm is enacting the very movement and posture that you're suggesting. Right. Is raising it up and saying, Lord, here's the, here's the statement. You're the ultimate judicial decider. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And the Lord is going to turn the question back, <laughs> I think, which I think is a very powerful move within the sermon as well, to turn it back and say, each of us may be judicial deciders. We all are in some capacity because we all make decisions for our own, our own bodies, for our, our own families. Like Abigail is in a position, and so are the servants, of judicial decisions to some capacity. But if you're in a capacity of a judicial decider, you better make sure that you're matching the judicial decisions that the Lord is giving, that you're bringing salvation that helps the poor, that you're listening to the counsel of the one who is in the refuge of the Lord. You better make sure that's the case, or uh, you're going to find that the judicial decider over you might treat you like what happens to Nabal. Yeah, that's great. Hey, man, I'm excited to preach or hear a sermon on this one. One last thing. Would you recommend, and I mean, obviously, it's not one size fits all. It depends on the setting. But would you strongly recommend that someone would, if someone was preaching on 14, to, to bring in that Second Samuel connection? Or would that overburden it? Would, is that good background? Or do you think that's like, hey, bring it in, tell that story? I, I'm just curious your thoughts on Sure, it's case by case. There's yeah. depends on how long you have and and the biblical literacy of your people. Not that you, they need to be could be an opportunity to expand their literacy through a connection. I don't know. So I don't know thoughts. I started answering the question myself. Sorry, but <laughs> yeah, I think I think it depends upon your your audience and your intended outcome because there are going to be some contexts where a narrative like First Samuel twenty five is going to bolster it. And there are going to be some contexts where a letter like Romans is going to bolster. But there are going to be some contexts where you are wanting to help the people move into the very end of Psalm 14, which is rejoicing. And if you're trying to move into a rejoicing that the Lord is the ultimate Elohim over every other Elohim, then you might not want to bring in a text that ends with the death of Nabal. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's, that's great. That's, that's a really good advice. Yeah. So that's always the the end is how you judge the means to select. Right. So (laughs) 
Right. The conclusion will lead to the setup. Right. right. So if you want to, if you want to lean more on the the warning element of the psalm, then perhaps the 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 first Samuel connection could be really helpful. Right. And if you're wanting to lean on, perhaps lean on the fact that yeah, just judges are hard to find. <laughs> then the Romans connection may be yes. helpful and to clean up the sort of certain kinds of sort of total depravity ways of interpreting even Romans three. Uh, right. Cause that's Bring not really the thrust 14? of that. That's right. That's not really the, the thrust of that anyway. But if your tension intention is elsewhere, it's more about participating in this justice and, and taking join the fact that no, there are some righteous. I, I, that's very helpful. I know I just summarized your answer, but just kind of thinking through different landing places would really help to reverse engineer the choice of, of cross-reference. And I think, I think it would to reverse engineer, as you said, helps not only in organizing when you're preaching this particular Psalm, but also would have helped the fool a lot to reverse engineer the conclusion of there is none and go back and say, Oh, maybe I reached that conclusion prematurely. <laughs> That's so, so right. Yeah. 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 When preaching, don't be a fool. Don't be in the box. <laughs> that's great. Hey, that's a perfect place to end, man. So that's a bumper sticker right there um, <laughs> or something to have a bookmark to stick in your Bible while you're prepping when preaching comma, don't be a fool. Psalm 14.1. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks so much, uh, DJ. Love having you on the show. You're just a fabulous interpreter of scripture and just love the way you help me see things in Psalm, in a Psalm that I've never seen before. So this is just absolutely lovely. So appreciate the time you gave. Thanks for deciding to have me. Yeah. And uh, as always, thanks to uh, the production team, especially Todd, who edits week in, week out. Can't imagine doing this show without you. Thanks to Tom for donating the theme music. Thanks to all, all of you who listen to the show, but especially those who support the show financially. I don't see a cent of that. I have a day job. That's for Todd, who does all that background work. He does it as a labor of love and a ministry, but a little compensation doesn't hurt. So thanks so for supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways that you can support the show there. And with that said, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.